This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Blair and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Blair. My name's Craig and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Craig. A preamble, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are fully self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Craig. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety, one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, let's meet our guest. Uh, would our guest like to introduce themselves and give us a quick sketch of who you are? Yeah, Blair, my name's Craig and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Thanks Craig. for inviting me in here again. I've done this once or twice before. Cool. Um, so, I've been in AA now for uh, 9,251 days, as it happens. I looked that up before I came in. Right. So, my sobriety date is the 14th of January, 1998. So, cool. I'm a little bit over 25 years sober. Right. Um, 
The reality is that every day for me, I'm reminded that I'm an alcoholic. Right. Okay. And, you know, I've had the benefit now of allowing all the fog to clear and, and lift and, and had that look back on my drinking and, and bottom line from day dot with me. Mm. Um, it was never any different. So I believe I'm genetically alcoholic and I've read all the science that sits in behind the denial of the fact that it is possible to be genetically alcoholic, but the point is I know I'm an alcoholic and I'm happy with that diagnosis, albeit self-diagnosed. So. Oh, cool. Um, uh, do you have uh, any family married with children, etc.? Um, yeah, I was married, um, but I've now been uh, divorced for about six years. Right. I've got two kids, mm-hmm. um, 29, 28, 29, somewhere around there, and my daughter's 25. Okay, so. excellent. Beautiful. Um and uh, what was briefly, how was your childhood? Excellent. You know, I grew up with good parenting and a happy home and inevitably, you know, good schooling. We were always fed. I didn't have any um, problematic stuff at all that, you know, may have otherwise have led to my addiction problem with alcohol, but no, pretty happy. Mm-hmm. So. Cool, cool. Um, so with that in mind, uh, when did you start drinking and, and how did that all progress for you? Well, funnily enough, you know, as I said, having had the time to look back now, I remember um, in my early years, I think I must have been about eight, seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Mum and Dad used to have lots of parties with the guys from Operation Deep Freeze at the time and mm-hmm. I was the young fella um, grabbing everybody's glasses and drinking the dregs and filling them up and taking the froth off the top. And you know, no understanding that I was any different to any other kid at that point, but I liked it, mm-hmm. liked the taste, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, stayed with me, I guess, forever. Right. So, right. Uh, and, and with that, what did you feel that the alcohol uh, did for you? For, for me, it wasn't so much a feeling uh, of anything, really. It was more the fact that once I put it in, and mm-hmm. you said uh, during your opening, once I had summon. I didn't want to stop, right, yeah. right? And that was my absolute tone of drinking. You know, I moved out of home when I was about 16, 17 because mum and dad ended up separating and ultimately getting divorced. And for me, that was just a license to really turn the taps on mm-hmm. big time. And I took every advantage of that. Right, yeah. yeah. And did you drink uh, alone uh, socially or binge drinking? What was the, what was the, how did you do it all? In the early stages, I guess it was more social, but, you know, I had a lot of friends um, that were heavy drinkers and, you know, I associated deliberately with that. Mm-hmm. But the difference between me and a lot of those people was that I was the one always waiting when I came out of the blackout in the morning to be told what I'd done the night before. Right, yeah. you know? And they sort of made extreme amounts of fun of that fact on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. So I never drank normally. Right. I never drank normally. Mm. And did you feel it was a problem or did you ever try to stop? No, I'd, in the sort of from my teen years of 17, 18, you know, right through probably until I was in my mid 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, mid 20s started to recognize there was a problem there. Right. And, uh, you know, they talk about the progressive nature of this disease. And for me, it was exactly that. It was very progressive mm-hmm. and it didn't muck around. I, I kind of hit that. 24, 25 period of my life and my drinking changed from being, you know, random mm-hmm. to being daily. Right. Every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's obviously pretty full on. Uh, how were you feeling at that particular time describing like your mental health and everything that goes along with that? You know, I often hear people say or use the term functioning alcoholic. Mm. 
And for me, yes, I had a job, I had a career, I was doing all the things that anyone from the outside looking in would do, mm-hmm. but there was nothing functional about it. You right. know, I was getting up in the morning, heading to my beer fridge in the garage and fighting at that stage not to take the first can out, right, but yeah. inevitably failing. Mm-hmm. And as things progressed, you know, my drinking moved into my workspace. Right. Um, a lot of hidden. How did I feel? I hated it. Hated what I was doing. I didn't want to tell anybody what I was doing. Mm. Uh, lived in denial of right. what I was doing. But I was under no illusion internally that I had an issue with yeah. it. And I just had no idea of how to deal with it. Gotcha. You know? Right. Um, and how did it impact the work and the relationships? And Well, you know, at the time I was in the police, so <laughs> I kept it pretty well hidden. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, the biggest thing, I guess, the is it affects the people closest to you more than anything. I mean, no one um, really knew the sheer amounts that I was drinking. Um, And, of course, with wifey and that, it was deny, deny, deny. Um, And I managed to do my job, and I did my job relatively well, but it was, you know, wrapped around a lot of alcoholic drinking when when I was at work with others that were drinking, certainly in the home environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we get lost in it. That's that's what it was like for me. I was lost in it. You know, I didn't know which way to turn. Yeah. And you know, you get to that point, I guess, where you don't want to do it and you want to stop, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Right. I've got a sponsee at the moment, and um, he's been having a, an interestingly difficult journey from his perspective. Right. And he decided a few months back that he was just going to, you know, AA wasn't for him, etc. And the last conversation I had with him, I said, "Listen, I want you to write this on a paper, a piece of paper, and keep it." And if you ever need me, you know how to get hold of me. And he said, right, I've got a pen and paper. What do you want me to write down? And I, I just gave him the words, I can't stop. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he rang me uh, on a Thursday and, and came back to a meeting on Friday night. And the reality was he can't stop. Right. I couldn't stop, Blair. Mm-hmm. That was my reality. Yeah. I could not stop. I could fight not to take the first drink. Yeah. But I didn't have the power. Right. You know, and I love that terminology we use in AA, you know, powerless over alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I was an absolute example of that powerlessness. Right. Uh, and so from that that point of, of not knowing how to stop, how did you find your way to the first AA meeting? Well, I didn't. <laughs> um, I had, uh, you know, a, a very difficult home life. Right. Not, not all of my fault ret- retrospectively, but a lot of it obviously down to the drinking. And I got home one night and I got told there's a couple of guys from AA coming around to speak to you. Right. So I was kind of ambushed and I knew I, I, my bum was in a corner mm-hmm. and I had nowhere else to go. So I waited um, nervously and, and two big guys came around. I remember they looked the size of, you know, day, I, it was like a David and Goliath moment in my life, you know. And... One of them, they told me their story, but one of them made a comment that stuck with me and it's never left me. And he was actually a guy that was my first sponsor for about 20-something years because right. I rapidly asked him to become that. But what he said that stuck with me is that you don't have to do this to yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. And everybody else previously is, why do you do it? Why don't you just stop? Well, you know. And one of the things I've learned in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is we understand that compulsion to drink, whereas someone that does not suffer from our addiction mm-hmm. cannot comprehend it. Yeah, you know. So that for me was a a, um, a changing moment. Right. 
And, um, you know, I asked him to be my sponsor and we got involved in the meetings, but I didn't for one minute think I could remain sober for any period of time. I actually just made a choice. I said to myself, okay, I'm going to see if I can do three months. Mm-hmm. And the first three weeks nearly killed me. <laughs> you know, the, the desire to drink was massive. Uh, the withdrawal from it yeah. was enormous and it was a real battle. Yeah. But I got to that point where I was three months sober and I was super, super proud of myself at that point for doing that. And then I extended it to six. Awesome. And six became a year and a year became two and three and four and so on and so forth. And they just stack up. Yeah, ex- excellent. Uh, and that, I mean, with that, obviously, those I can hear that small goals in there. But um, how have you managed to stay sober inside that? You know, what is what is your process of recovery look right. like? Well, to me, the secret of sobriety is pretty much laid out if you look at a lot of material on step one mm-hmm. uh, honesty open-mindedness and willingness right first thing is you've got to get honest with yourself now I knew I had an issue but when I was 12 stepped that issue was not only my um, internalized localized secretly kept issue mm-hmm. I realized someone else knew what it was like right And that became really obvious to me that the people in the rooms of AA understand that. So that support network and group and mechanism that sits there was huge for me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my sponsor's advice was sit down, shut up and listen for two years. And I know a lot of people's attitude is, you know, race through the steps by next Thursday and and all will be fine. But for me, you know, I I took that two-year period and we worked on my understanding of my disease, you know, he taught me and, and consequently I teach my sponsees now. I know when my disease is talking to me and I know when Craig's having a chat with me mm-hmm. and they're two completely different beasts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so sobriety for me, the major, major part of it is in the rooms and, you know, I'm, as I said, 25 plus years sober yeah. and I objectively try to get to four meetings a week, if not, you know, five. If I'm just doing nothing, yeah. then I'm in the car and I'm on my way to a meeting. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Steps, critically important, but again, you know, I got taken through and taught by example um, and it was a long process of going through the steps. You know, there's no race in AA. There's no cup for coming first. There's no accolade for it. Um, and, you know, you often hear people talk about foundation and I'm really big on that again now with my sponsees. You know, I've got a lot of people that I help now who were sponsored by others but relapsed, right? right? And there's nothing wrong with relapse for anyone that's considering the comment that I just made there. It's part of a lot of people's journey, right? But if you build uh, a good foundation, and I always use the example of the Burj Hotel over in uh, Dubai, you know, the world's tallest building. And funnily enough, it was actually never intended to be the world's tallest building. That happened by mistake. But I won't go into that. Someone can Google that and find out for themselves. (laughs) But, you know, if you get that foundation right and you listen to other alcoholics who can give you the benefit of their advice and you remove the little traits of alcoholism like the isolation, you know, our disease wants to get you on your own. Mm -hmm. That's where its power is, okay? And if I stick you in a room with 25 people, I can pretty much guarantee you sobriety for at least that next hour, probably the next two or three or four Mm -hmm. or 24, right? We live in a a one-day-at-a-time program, and that's what makes us doable. Is it a fight? Yes, it is. Do you have to want it? Yes, you do, right? But 
if you want it more than the disease wants it for you to drink, then you can get there. I've, I've always said there's permanent recovery for everybody if they mm. want it. Awesome. Mm. Um, and, I mean, with that in mind, uh, how would you describe yourself today and the life that you have today? Oh, look, you know, life is never perfect. We always have life on life's terms, stuff that we have to deal with, and that's okay. What I don't have to do today is totally lose the plot mm -hmm. because something that is not ideal has just happened to me. I treasure my sobriety because every day I remind myself that this morning my day started at the, at the jug in the kitchen making a cup of coffee, not at the fridge in the garage trying to not take that first drink, yeah. right? I remind myself... I'm alcoholic. That's never going to change for me, Blair. Mm -hmm. I will be an alcoholic till the day I die, right? So I have to do all the right things daily to ensure that I keep sober. If I'm sober, I can travel through anything, you know. I've got the support of numerous people in AA. I can pick the phone up. I can do lots of things. But as soon as I drink, you will never see me again. Mm -hmm. It's my reality, yeah. you know. Right, gotcha, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so with all that in line, how's that made an impact on on like your home life and the relationships and things like that? Well, those? I got divorced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, life on life's terms again. Like I, I'm, I try and be as good to people as I can be, yeah. right? But I'm human and sometimes I don't get it right. Mm -hmm. But AA's taught me if I'm wrong and I know I'm wrong, then break out the apology and yeah. get on with it, you know? Um, I just try and live a good life and, you know, like I'm not the richest man in the world. I don't have, you know, all the things I'd ideally like to have, but they're not important things to me anymore, yeah. funnily enough. Like I was talking to a, a guy I've sponsored, you know, yesterday and he's turned five years um, sober a wee while ago. His awesome. father died yesterday, mm -hmm. you know. My job is to be there to support him, Yeah, you know. I'm well beyond wanting to be selfish about, you know, my time in that regard. Yeah. You know, AI has given me every – I'd be dead. Yeah. You know, if I'd kept drinking, I would be dead. Mm -hmm. So – Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of lot of gratitude there for that yeah. side of things. So, um, I mean, with that uh, in mind, like AA is described as a spiritual program, mm -hmm. um, not religious. What does that mean for you? You know, I'm, I'm probably – I'm not a religious guy. I grew up um, in a Presbyterian family, which is kind of the religion you have when you're not having a religion. But there's a special place for me, which is St Andrew's Church, because that's where I used to go when I was young. Right. And when things are a little bit tough for me, I'll go and sit on the steps of that church mm -hmm. and have a chat, you know. I've been through a difficult period in the last few weeks, and, you know, I've had God send messages to me, and visually as well as everything else, and, you know, I just travel through it. Um a lot, the, God, the word God appears a lot in the AA program, and it's one of those things, okay, it puts a lot of people off. But I remember one of the earliest analogies I was even ever given was the word group of drunks. Mm -hmm. And that sticks with me, you know. And I firmly believe, you know, my higher power slash God slash whatever you want to call it, you know, there's a pathway that will occur for me. Yeah. And all I need do is not drink. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um and with that in mind, I mean, what would you suggest for any listeners who, who may have a drinking problem? What would you sort of tap speak or? No, AA worked for me. Um, and the reason it worked for me, again, I'm going to use a statement that my first AA person said to me is you don't have to do this to yourself anymore. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, no one out there has to do it. Is it easy? No, it isn't, you know. We have a significantly large big book, right? We don't have a pamphlet. If it was easy, we'd have a pamphlet. You'd walk in, <laughs> yeah. you'd walk out, you know, you're a done deal. Um, I, I want everybody to have the chance of permanent sobriety that I was given, mm-hmm. you know. Life doesn't come with any guarantees, but I guarantee to anyone that's listening to this, if you do this and you work hard and you want it mm. and you have it, the reward will be phenomenal. Yeah. So. Yeah, cool. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, Craig, thank you so much for coming in uh, and sharing your story with us today. My pleasure. Um, for our listeners, uh, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the website at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely that there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesdays at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity serenity to to accept accept the things things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plans FM 96.9. 